1: Welcome to Season 4, Episode 52 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 4, Episodes 49, 50 and 51 for Parts 1, 2 and 3 of this four-part case. This is the final episode of Season 4. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. It had been 15 years since Stuart Lubbock died. Stuart's body exhibited signs of a brutal sexual assault, and questions remained as to the exact cause of his death. It was at first ruled a drowning after Stuart was said to have been pulled from the water of a swimming pool owned by former television personality Michael Barrymore. Along with Barrymore, seven other guests could provide few details on how the father of two received such horrific injuries let alone how he ended up lifeless in the water during those early morning hours of March 31st, 2001. As detectives considered that there was something more sinister at play, just over two months after Stewart died, several arrests were made in connection with his death. Jonathan Kenny, Barrymore's then-boyfriend, and Justin Merritt, a refuse collector who had met Barrymore along with some other partygoers. During the evening of March 30th at the Millennium Nightclub However no one was ultimately charged Michael Barrymore had also been arrested Though this related to suspected drug offences And he was given a caution for possessing cannabis And for allowing his home to be used as a place where the drug was consumed An inquest was held the following year But coroner Caroline Beasley Murray ruled an open verdict which essentially meant that a specific reason for Stuart's death could not be ascertained. Several inquiries were made over the next five years, and in 2007, some further arrests were made. Again, Justin Merritt and Jonathan Kenny were taken into police custody to be questioned regarding the suspected murder and rape of Stuart Lubbock but this time Michael Barrymore, who had up until this point never officially been labelled a suspect, was also arrested. While it was hoped Stewart's family might finally find out what happened and see someone face justice, again no charges were ultimately laid. A lack of forensic evidence and muddled witness statements no doubt played a part as to why Essex police were unable to find out what happened. Although in 2009, the Independent Police Complaints Commission concluded their investigation into the initial inquiry. While the findings did not deduce that there was any evidence of corruption or incompetence, something that Stewart's father had alleged in his complaint, it was acknowledged that there were several failures which hindered the ability to discover the exact circumstances of the case. Two pieces of evidence – The door handle and Paul thermometer, with the latter's dimensions consistent with the internal injuries Stuart suffered, had disappeared before they were forensically tested. It was believed the thermometer went missing shortly after it was photographed at the scene. Further failures listed that the incident was incorrectly assumed to be a drowning and the property was not secured. A member of the public, Mike Brown. Barrymore's then personal assistant was allowed to enter the grounds unsupervised to retrieve some of the former celebrity's belongings. Brown was even asked to help take the temperature of the pool. And finally, forensic testing was not completed promptly, and the investigation was suspended prematurely. These conclusions did not help answer the question as to what happened, but at least now there was some acknowledgement as to why the answers were so hard to find. Stewart's family would not see the justice they deserved, but Michael Barrymore felt he too was a victim, claiming his arrest on suspicion of murder in 2007 was a miscarriage of justice. Barrymore had protested his innocence, and during the middle of 2015 it was reported that he was suing the chief of Essex police. He sought substantial damages for false imprisonment following his unlawful arrest. This meant that the police would now have to explain why Barrymore had been arrested in the first place. In court documents referring to Barrymore as the claimant, the police argued that, quote, throughout investigations and to this day, The claimant has consistently failed to give a full or clear account of the events he witnessed and or participated in at home on the night of Mr Lubbock's death. In an interview that Barrymore gave to Piers Morgan, writing for GQ magazine in December 2006, Barrymore was asked if he knew of anyone that was hiding any secrets about the night Stuart died. Barrymore replied, Yes but I'm not going to say their names. I just hope they are brave enough to come forward one day. Police believe that Barrymore was not telling the whole truth. When Terry Lubbock, who had been fighting for justice despite his failing health, came to learn of Barrymore's court case against the police, he said that he hoped it would be an opportunity to help the family get closer to the truth. That search would not be quick. Well over a year later, a preliminary hearing was held at the end of 2016. Barrymore's legal team argued that the actions of Essex police were unreasonable and disproportionate, which caused irreparable damage to their client's reputation, caused him distress and lost earnings. Barrymore was seeking £2.4 million. The preliminary hearing predominantly focused on the legality of the arrest rather than the reasons for it. The Essex Constabulary had at first maintained the proper procedures were followed. That was until 2016, when it was admitted that the arrest was carried out by an officer that was not fully briefed on the reasons why Barrymore should have been arrested. It was argued by his barrister that Barrymore was falsely imprisoned. On June 14th, 2007, the police decided that the three suspects, Michael Barrymore, Jonathan Kenny, and Justin Merritt, who lived in different parts of the country at the time, should be arrested simultaneously. But after they were taken into custody, no additional material information came to light and in September 2007, the police were informed by the CPS that there was insufficient evidence to lay charges. It was revealed in court papers that Detective Constable Susan Jenkins, who was due to arrest Barrymore, was held up, stuck in traffic. So another officer, Police Constable Coots, who was carrying out surveillance of the property where Barrymore was staying, made the arrest, following orders from his superiors. The police argued the arrest needed to be coordinated as two other suspects were going to be detained at the same time. In order to perform a lawful arrest, the arresting officer must have in their mind reasonable grounds for suspecting that the person being arrested is guilty of committing an offence for which they are being detained, and that officer must believe it is necessary to arrest that person. To avoid inadvertent disclosure of information in such a sensitive case, the officers involved were only told what they needed to know. The legal team for the defendant, in this case the chief of Essex police, submitted that based on the evidence available, Barrymore's arrest would have been made regardless. He should only be entitled to nominal damages for false imprisonment. Any loss of income was down to Stuart Lubbock being found unresponsive at Barrymore's property. Essex police were happy to pay compensation and offered £1 exactly. Something that Michael Barrymore did not believe was acceptable. The outcome of the court case would be decided by a single sitting judge at London's High Court. The court case would begin six months later before Mr. Justice Stuart Smith during May 2017. Michael Barrymore would not offer evidence, although he did attend the first day of the proceedings. Hugh Tomlinson QC argued Michael Barrymore's arrest was made without, quote, any proper evidential foundation. Tomlinson proclaimed that the worldwide publicity destroyed his client's career. Our case is that when speculation, rumour and conjecture are put to one side, It is clear there is no evidence against the claimant in relation to any offence concerning Mr Lubbock. Hugh Tomlinson QC also claimed that following further analysis, an expert witness had found evidence that Stuart Lubbock had not consumed as much cocaine as previously believed. Appearing on behalf of Essex Police, John Begg's QC clarified that the argument of what he described as the lawfulness of the arrest was based on a formality. The suspect, Michael Barrymore, would have been arrested regardless on reasonable grounds, so there was no case to answer to for any substantial loss. A great deal of emphasis was placed on the technicalities of this procedure, as the police had admitted that the officer who arrested Michael Barrymore could not satisfy the statutory criteria, so the arrest was unlawful. However, in a written submission to the court from the defence explaining their actions, Essex police stated they could not wait and they had to make the arrest simultaneously to a. isolate the suspects from each other and the other partygoers. b. enable the interviewing teams to feed into each other any useful developments emerging from the concurrent interviews. C. Keep the suspects off balance. And D. Ensure that any inculpatory comments made in the cell block were captured by the investigating team. During the case, the judge, Mr Justice Stuart Smith, asked two questions. One, if the senior investigating officer at the time, D.S. Gareth Wilson and the officer who was due to make the arrest, Detective Constable Susan Jenkins, had reasonable grounds to suspect Michael Barrymore of the murder and rape of Stuart Lubbock? And two, did Wilson and Jenkins have reasonable grounds to believe that the arrest was necessary for a prompt and effective investigation? Both the SIO and detective who was fully briefed to make a lawful arrest offered evidence. D. S. Wilson, the SIO when the investigation was formally reopened in 2006, insisted that he kept an open mind during the inquiry as to who was ultimately responsible, though admitted the initial investigation was not the constabulary's finest hour. Detective Constable Susan Jenkins, who was meant to arrest Barrymore, had worked for Essex Police for 27 years, but had since retired. Jenkins believed that Stuart Lubbock had been raped and murdered and offered arguments for why an arrest of Barrymore was required. Questioned by Hugh Tomlinson QC, she was at first asked why the police couldn't just confiscate Barrymore's passport and ask him to come to the station. DC Jenkins offered a number of reasons that included the possibility of collusion with the other suspects and Barrymore's past statements had been ambiguous lacking a detailed account of what happened. They wanted to question him without what Jenkins described as prior warning. Disclosing information from a police intelligence report, which added weight to the argument that Barrymore needed to be arrested and questioned, John Begg's QC explained that Mike Brown, Michael Barrymore's former assistant, had unrestricted access to the property shortly after the incident in 2001 and this coincided with the pool thermometer's disappearance. Beggs also revealed something that had not been publicly disclosed up until this point. A phone call took place between Jonathan Kenny and Mike Brown, around 35 minutes before the emergency services were notified that Stuart Lubbock had been found unresponsive. It was argued that during this period instructions might have been given to clean up the scene with John Beggs QC voicing his assumptions about what could have happened. Beggs told the court, such an implement that may have caused the dilation goes missing between the photos that morning and 4.40pm when police realised this was a suspicious death. At 5.10am on the morning of Stuart Lubbock's death, Jonathan Kenny rang Mike Brown on his mobile informing him of what had happened. He was told to clear up the house and the police were called after this was done. Beggs went on to explain that the police had also received information from someone who they admittedly described as an untrusted source. Quote, The intelligence report said police also received a tip that two people were paid off by Mr Barrymore not to give evidence against him. Highlighting another reason why Barrymore was a suspect and should have been arrested, Beggs questioned why the former celebrity left the property before the police arrived. While others stay trying to assist the deceased giving CPR, he is seen rummaging through drawers in the house and he is seen leaving with something under his arm, Beggs said. Michael Barrymore had argued it was a jumper, however police could never confirm if this were the case. John Beggs QC asked the court what sort of person would leave their home when someone had been found lifeless in their pool. The barrister was puzzled how not a single person at the party could explain how Stuart Lubbock received his injuries. Beggs concluded, You don't have to know there was a murder. You just have to suspect there was a murder. If you have a dead body of a healthy person, that was a reason to suspect murder. This suspect never gave a cogent explanation as to how a young man was so seriously injured in a confined space with so few people present. Acting on behalf of Michael Barrymore, Hugh Tomlinson QC argued to the court that the police had tunnel vision, focusing on his client because Barrymore was a quote promiscuous gay man, interested in casual sexual encounters and drugs. While Tomlinson said the police did not operate in bad faith, as it was a complex case, he believed they had just focused on the wrong things. There was no physical evidence that suggested his client committed a murder an unintended consequence of the lawsuit meant that a great deal of information about the investigating methods and the evidence gathered against Barrymore was published. This included the known facts about the night of March 30th and the early morning hours of the next day, which was already public knowledge. Referring to Michael Barrymore as the claimant, in the factual background of the case, the judge specifically noted, quote, there was evidence that the claimant snorted cocaine and offered it to others, including Mr Lubbock. There was evidence that the claimant also smoked cannabis in one of the bedrooms, with one or more of his guests. The findings confirm that Barrymore left the scene after Stuart was found, but before the police arrived at 6.10am. In the police scene log, Mike Brown, Barrymore's PA, turned up at 7.03am and told the police where Barrymore was. As a result, police officers left at 7.49am to see him and take a statement. It was only after the post-mortem findings in the late afternoon, the police began to treat the death as suspicious and Barrymore's home as a potential crime scene. Access to the property and the items within it were only restricted from about 10.30am. The reinvestigation in 2006 led the police to conclude that Michael Barrymore as well as Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt were to be considered suspects in the rape and murder of Stuart Lubbock. Essex police consulted with Dr Nathaniel Carey, a forensic pathologist. He did not consider there to be an accidental or innocent explanation for Stuart's injuries. Dr. Carey believed the idea that the incident could have been an accident was absurd. He felt the injuries were caused either by an object or less likely by penile penetration. As for a cause of death, Carey could not rule out the possibility that the injuries caused contributed to Stuart's death though drowning or drug overdose in association with hypothermia could not be ruled out either. Also, the doctor could not exclude the possibility of partial asphyxia through the application of a neck lock during a rape or sexual assault. Based on the forensic evidence available, a perpetrator for either a sexual assault and or murder was not identified. To find out who may have been responsible, two Windows of Opportunity reports were produced. The first, created on May 10, 2007, was summarised by the judge, Mr Justice Stuart Smith, again referring to Michael Barrymore as the claimant. Quote, it identified that the claimant as a possible suspect based upon suggestions that he might be sexually aggressive, a drunk significantly, and was believed to have taken cannabis and cocaine, because his version of events differed from that of others. It also identified a time when the claimant left his bedroom to fetch swimming shorts as the last known opportunity before Mr Lubbock was found in the pool. There was no evidence at any stage of the claimant being seen in the vicinity of the pool at any material time. According to court documents, the judge's summation of the second window of opportunity report which included several further scenarios, again concluded that the window of opportunity was most likely quote, when the claimant left the second bedroom to fetch swimming shorts. This window was after Barrymore's advances against James Futters were abuffed, but shortly before Stuart Lubbock was found in the pool. This correlated with the belief that the injuries were inflicted before Stuart's death a view held by all the pathologists that reviewed the evidence at the inquest and more importantly by Dr Nathaniel Carey who was being consulted at this stage in the investigation. Reviewing the case, the judge believed it was evident that the suspicions of the SIO Detective Superintendent Gareth Wilson were further raised because Barry Moore fled before the police arrived. There were also two further pieces of information which had increased the suspicions of the SIO. The following is a direct summary from a publicly available court document produced on the findings of Essex Police. Detectives came to learn that a witness, who had worked at Springfield Medical Centre in Shelmsford, just over 20 miles east from Michael Barrymore's home in Roydon, had alleged that they believed Barry Moore had an operation on his penis a day after Stuart Lubbock had died. A police community support officer recalled visiting the witness who made the statement, but the officer could not remember exactly when. The time frame is incredibly broad, sometime between 2001 to 2006. This information was acted upon during May 2007 and the community support officer was asked to pursue this line of inquiry. When he returned to Springfield Medical Centre, the witness could only confirm that Barrymore was at the medical centre, but was unable to recall why, as Barrymore had not been in her care directly. She would not give an official statement, but did talk off the record, confirming that Barrymore's admittance was around the time of the incident. The other piece of information came from the cousin of Sean Davis, one of Barrymore's former partners. While neither Davis or his cousin had been at Barrymore's home during the time of the incident, at some point in 2003 or 2004, describing the cause for the injuries, Barrymore's ex-partner said to his cousin either, Did you know it was a hairbrush? or It was a hairbrush. Although this evidence did not point to who was responsible for the assault and was problematic in that it was double hearsay, it came from someone connected to Barrymore. Court documents further revealed that a report was produced by Essex police before Michael Barrymore was taken into custody during 2007. The conclusion of a section titled Arrest Plan explained why he was a suspect. Barrymore changed his clothes, fleeing the scene after Stuart's body was found, carrying what was described simply as a bundle of material under his arm. It could not be verified what this was. Also, it had previously been believed that Barrymore had never gone to the Millennium Nightclub before March 30th, 2001. However, staff confirmed him having been there on several occasions. And finally, reference was made to the unverified evidence of the alleged injury to Barrymore's penis, obtained from a witness at Springfield Medical Centre. The arrest plan documents produced by Essex Police also contained sections that were labelled Arrest Justification and another titled Bad Character Evidence. The report included information on all three suspects, Michael Barrymore, Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt. However, as Barrymore was the one suing the Chief of Essex Police, only the information relevant to his potential involvement was examined in detail by the judge, because this formed the basis for the arrest on the rape and murder charges. The arrest justification element of the rationale for the arrest was summarised by Mr Justice Stuart Smith he noted that there was quote ample evidence to support the assertion that michael barrymore's behavior suggested he desired a sexual encounter it mentioned the much publicized stories about there being drugs present at barrymore's home available at the numerous parties he held there also a former work colleague of jonathan kennys had made a statement on january 26 2007 suggesting that Kenny had given him an account of the evening. Kenny said Barrymore had allegedly been pestering Stuart Lubbock for sex that night. Kenny spoke of how he had to interrupt the advances, telling Barrymore that Stuart was straight. This caused what was described as a fracas between Kenny and Barrymore. According to the report, this account was made all the more credible by the fact that Kenny's former colleague was shown on the scene log, arriving at Barrymore's address at 8.38am on March 31st, 2001. There was also mention of the comments made regarding a hairbrush being used in the attack on Stuart, which came from Sean Davis's cousin. While there was no suggestion of violence or aggression in the justification documents, recounted the comments made by a doorman at the Millennium Nightclub who had found Barrymore with another man in the toilets in what was described as a compromising situation. The identity of this individual was not revealed. The comments made by Barrymore in the taxi I could do with a good fuck now. I'd be happy with that now. were also highlighted, though there was not any indication as to who this comment was directed at. The judge would note that this information was already known to the inquiry and as such was not new evidence. And finally, on the night in question, James Futters and Simon Shaw, two guests at the party who had turned up later, said that Barrymore tried to kiss Futters on the mouth. This was never raised at the inquest, however did appear in Futters' statement to the police. While Futters pushed Barrymore away, Shaw told him, Don't worry, he's always doing that sort of thing. At the time, no issue was made of the advance by Barrymore. What was labelled as bad character evidence was collected by Essex police. This included three allegations of rape or sexual assault, another which was marked as, quote, promiscuous homosexual relationships and finally an incident which resulted in Barrymore receiving a caution for allowing a hotel room he had hired to be used for smoking cannabis. The allegations regarding rape and sexual assault, while serious, turned out to be entirely fabricated, and in other instances the individuals had sold their story to the tabloids. One such incident was said to have occurred on May 8, 1998, in which a male alleged that he was raped by Michael Barrymore in the toilets of a nightclub. Swabs were taken but showed no other individual's DNA. Furthermore, CCTV clearly showed the two men never entered the toilets together, where the attack was said to have taken place. The alleged victim had contacted the Sun newspaper almost immediately after the incident and an article about what was said to have happened ran in the news of the world soon after. On another occasion, a fan claimed that he was sexually assaulted by Barrymore. However, he later admitted that the attack never took place, and he was found guilty of attempting to pervert the course of justice. Several of the untrue allegations were reported in the tabloids, This only solidified Barrymore's concerns about the false statements being made by the media. Mr Justice Stuart Smith accepted the arrest justification elements of the report by Essex Police. However, he described the bad character evidence against Barrymore as flimsy and misleading, to such an extent that further inquiry should have been made as to its reliability.
0: Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Sentair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Sentair comes in. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. The findings of Mr Justice Stuart Smith, who oversaw the case brought against the Chief of Essex Police, were comprehensive citing a great deal of case law, detail on citizens' rights, and the issue faced when arresting multiple suspects if there was a possibility only one committed the crime. The judge recognised that the circumstances surrounding Stewart's death were suggestive of foul play, but he did not believe there was any evidence that directly linked Michael Barrymore to causing the injuries. Based on witness statements, there was a possibility that Barrymore may have taken something from the scene, but again there was no proof to confirm what. While the police had argued Barrymore had the motive and opportunity with him seeking a sexual encounter, the judge pointed out that there was no evidence that Barrymore wanted to carry out a violent non-consensual act. The finding read in part, the suggestion that he may have become frustrated to the point of being prepared to carry out anal rape on a man he knew to be straight is unsupported speculation, even for a naturally sceptical investigator with a reasonable tendency to suspicion. Mr. Justice Stuart Smith also highlighted the problems with the Windows of Opportunity report, as it was based on the recollection of a group of people who were not reliable or consistent. Additionally, when D.S. Wilson and D.C. Jenkins were cross-examined, neither could come up with any examples of collusion between the three suspects. The judge reviewed the arguments put forward, and although he was critical of some of the evidence gathered, he ruled that clearly a violent, penetrating assault which may have been anal rape occurred. He concluded that Michael Barrymore was one of a small and closed group of people who may have committed the assault, but this did not point directly to Barrymore's guilt. D.S. Wilson and D.C. Jenkins had grounds for an arrest. Though the judge was clear, the evidence fell far short of proof to the standard required for charging or a conviction. In regards to the hairbrush hearsay evidence from Sean Davis's cousin, the judge said, The weaknesses in this evidence are obvious, but I do not suggest that the police should have ignored the information altogether on that account. Taken at its highest, it is suggestive of an unlawful assault. Concerning Barrymore's alleged procedure at Springfield Medical Centre, SIO DS Wilson had said he wanted to present this information cold to Barrymore when interviewing him. In the judge's summary, It states that a record of receipt for the evidence was marked by the officers working the reinvestigation on December 12, 2006. But this was surprisingly never followed up. It was recorded that medical records were going to be requested, and Barrymore asked about what happened, but this did not occur. The judge felt the evidence in a form of an unverified statement with no medical records to back it up was not contributing to grounds for suspicion that justified arrest. Quote, There is, in my view, no good reason why this information was not properly investigated and consent to view medical records was not sought at an early stage. Had consent been refused, that would have cast a different light on the information. But this did not happen. While the judge was of the belief that a violent assault did take place at Barrymore's home, the court case was not underway to find out who was responsible, but to rule on the circumstances of Barrymore's arrest and the measure of damages he would receive. The defendant in the case, the chief of Essex Police, argued that Barrymore could have been arrested lawfully. But Mr Justice Stuart Smith ruled that he rejected that suggestion, there was only one designated officer fully briefed but she was not available. The judge believed that if Michael Barrymore had not been unlawfully arrested by PC Coote he would have been unlawfully arrested by another officer who was at the scene. Only DC Jenkins had sufficient information and had been sufficiently briefed to enable her to arrest Michael Barrymore lawfully. The judge's ruling was handed down on August 18th, 2017. The damages payment would be substantial. However, at the time, Mr Justice Stuart Smith was yet to decide how much Michael Barrymore would be paid. In spite of the judge's delay in determining the amount of compensation, it was reported across the national press that Barrymore would be receiving the millions he thought he deserved. Following the proceedings, Essex police released a statement in which they focused on Stuart's family and friends, insisting they still need to know what happened on that night, how Stuart was injured and who was responsible for his death. Terry Lubbock had travelled to London to hear the verdict. He was photographed, smartly dressed, standing outside the High Court. Terry told reporters, Barrymore has won his case in court, but it doesn't change what I think, that he knows more than he's ever let on. I've never accused him of being directly responsible for Stuart's death, but I've maintained that my son was murdered. And Barrymore could have helped the police a lot more to bring his killers to justice. Because the spotlight now is beamed on Barrymore, and I hope to be have half of that spotlight and get my point of view across. Terry Lubbock said it was ironic that Barrymore was due to receive a large payment when Stuart's family had received so little. We've lost a life, he said, which is far more precious than anyone's career. At the start of 2018... Approaching 17 years after the death of his son, Terry Lubbock made a further appeal for a second inquest. It was submitted that with new evidence it might change the outcome. However, Stewart's father was told by Jeremy Wright, the Attorney General at the time who was the final authority on the matter, that there was nothing presented that could change the outcome of the initial inquest. It seemed Terry was caught in a Catch-22 situation as he felt that the inquest would unearth new information. The Attorney General said, I offer my deepest sympathy to the family of Stuart Lubbock for their loss, but as disappointing as it will be for the family, it would not be right to pass this matter to the High Court when the tests for a new inquest are not met. Michael Barrymore may have been hoping for a substantial damages payment for what his counsel had described as a destroyed career. However, the battle was far from over. His legal team would have to continue to argue his case at the Court of Appeal almost a year later. Counsel for Michael Barrymore Hugh Tomlinson QC had argued there were no reasonable grounds upon which Barrymore could be arrested and that in any event an arrest was not necessary. Before Sir Brian Leveson, Lady Justice Hallett and Sir Ernest Ryder, during November 2018, Lord Folk's QC, who did not appear at the original trial, but was now acting for the Chief of Essex Police, wanted to remind the court that, quote, We should not lose sight of the fact that a young man died. His family, as well as their distress at this young man's death, have never obtained a true explanation for it. Two of the three grounds of appeal argued by Lord Folk's QC centred on Mr Justice Stuart Smith's failure to ask whether Michael Barrymore could and would have been detained had the officers acted lawfully and what the position would have been had P.C. Coots not performed an arrest at all. Mr Justice Stuart Smith had ruled that Barrymore could lawfully have been arrested by Detective Constable Jenkins, but that Barrymore was nonetheless entitled to substantial damages for false imprisonment, because had he not been unlawfully arrested by PC Coots, he would have been unlawfully arrested by another of the surveillance officers present at the scene on that day. Similarly, they did not have the necessary information to form reasonable beliefs surrounding the lawfulness of the arrest. The ruling from the three appeal court judges which came a month later covered much of the same ground as the findings of Mr Justice Stuart Smith, the basis of which was leaned on heavily as the circumstances of the inquiry were accounted. The initial judgment made by Mr Justice Stuart Smith was labelled as impressive and thorough. Addressing the necessity of Barrymore's arrest, Sir Brian Leveson had ruled that it was a cold case that had never produced an answer to the question who had committed the offences against Stuart Lubbock. Arresting Michael Barrymore simultaneously with the other two suspects, Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt, might have led to a breakthrough in the case, and it was therefore at least reasonable to believe that his arrest was necessary. What came out of the judgment were the significant findings based on the material gathered over the years. Naming Barrymore under his real surname of Parker, the judges documented what they considered to be the facts of that night, despite Michael Barrymore's claims to the contrary. This is a direct quote from the judgment made by Sir Brian Leveson, along with Lady Justice Hallett and Sir Ernest Ryder. 1. Mr. Lubbock suffered a violent assault about the time of his death, and a third party was involved. 2. Mr. Parker was one of only three men who could have committed the assault. 3 a pool thermometer that may have been the cause of Mr. Lubbock's injuries went missing and Mr. Parker's assistant was present at the scene tidying up during the relevant time. 4. Mr. Parker had expressed a significant interest in having sexual intercourse and made advances to heterosexual men including Mr. Lubbock that night. And 5. Mr. Parker provided Mr. Lubbock with drugs On the night of his death, Michael Barrymore has always insisted that he was not involved and the injuries could not have occurred at his former home. But the judges believe that the facts of the case clearly point to a sexual assault or rape taking place at 4 Beaumont Park Drive and Barrymore was one of only three people that could have caused Stewart's injuries. And furthermore, in some upsetting news for the former entertainer, the three appeal judges ruled that as a lawful arrest could have or would have been made that day, either by waiting for D.C. Jenkins to arrive, or by one of the surveillance officers obtaining sufficient information over the telephone, something that had been left unconsidered in the initial trial. Barrymore was now only to receive nominal damages. This outcome overruled the 2017 High Court decision and meant Barrymore would have to pay legal costs. £1 was initially offered by Essex Police, but Barrymore would not even receive that after dropping his claim in July 2019. The fight for damages had backfired, as not only had Barrymore failed to receive the millions he hoped for, but detailed information from the investigating officers on why they considered him to be a suspect was now public knowledge. While there are no doubt credible reasons for the arrests of Justin Merritt and Jonathan Kenny, they have not been revealed publicly. They are only known to the team who continue to investigate the death of Stuart Lubbock. Throughout 2019, Michael Barrymore continued to insist he did not give Stuart Lubbock drugs and was not responsible for the death of the father of two. During June, in an interview for a television programme called Piers Morgan's Life Stories, Barrymore said, I am innocent. I am not 99.9% innocent. I am 100% innocent. And I am entitled to walk around with my head held high for the rest of my life. He added, I have to live in hope that somehow, somewhere, there will be an answer. I just hope it will be within what is left of my life. And as Barrymore's appearance generated interest in the case, the Essex Police Force used this opportunity to appeal for information, as the investigation was still open. Much like every other time Michael Barrymore attempted to relaunch his career, the investigation to find out what happened to Stuart Lubbock was again brought into the public eye. Terry Lubbock was vocal about wanting to meet the former television personality in front of cameras and a live audience, so everyone could understand what nearly two decades of not knowing what happened to his son had done to him. Barry was asked during an appearance on Good Morning Britain, a television talk show, if he would consider meeting with Terry Lubbock, and he replied, I'd love to meet. However, that meeting would never go ahead. It was approaching 19 years since Stuart Lubbock had died. Stuart's father had survived both several strokes and was now fighting prostate cancer. The search for justice would be reignited when a Channel 4 documentary titled Barrymore, The Body in the Pool was aired on the evening of February 6, 2020. It had been 18 months in the making and covered not only the events of that night, but the investigation, interviews with medical professionals, information about the life of Michael Barrymore, and also the thoughts of Detective Chief Inspector Stephen Jennings, who is now leading the inquiry into Stuart Lubbock's death. In a frank interview, Jennings openly admitted that mistakes were made during the initial investigation when Essex police took at face value the witness accounts which implied that Stewart had died from a tragic accident. DCI Jennings said that the handling of the scene failed to meet the standard they would expect when members of the public were allowed to access the home. The detective alleged that evidence had been secreted away and someone at that party knew more than they were letting on. He believed that as the injuries were so severe, it was likely that more than one person was involved. A spokesperson for Essex Police would later address the missing items of evidence that had been mentioned in the IPCC report. Quote, In the aftermath of Stewart's death on March 31st, 2001, A forensic assessment was carried out at the scene of the house in Royden over the preceding days. This included the capturing of photographs and video of the scene. During that process two items recorded as being within the scene, namely a thermometer and Paul door handle, went missing. As these items have never been recovered and forensically tested, their evidential importance is not known and it cannot be ruled out that they were used to inflict injuries upon Stuart. The documentary included a still taken of the patio near the pool. It clearly shows a white towel stained with blood. Another police photograph showed the water with a dark object at the bottom of the pool. It appears to be the baseball cap that Stuart had been throwing around that night the opening of the television programme focused on the call made by Justin Merritt from his sister's mobile phone. Along with Kelly Campbell, Justin Merritt had hurriedly requested the address from Michael Barrymore, who, according to police statements, was in his bedroom at the time beside an open drawer. The transcript of the call read, Operator Which emergency service do you require? Merritt Ambulance, number 4, Beaumont Park Drive, Roydon, Essex. A geezer's drowned in the pool. Right, sorry? A fella's drowned in the pool. Are they still in the water? No, we've got them out. There's a party going on, and someone's just gone out and found him. I'll tell you what, mate. It's the first time I've been out in four fucking years because I have my kids every weekend. And fucking hell, you don't expect it, do you? Her voice is later heard saying, Fucking hell, I think the geezer's dead, mate. In an interview with Terry Lubbock before the programme aired, Stuart's father told a reporter for the press association that Barrymore had, Kept this in the news, and I thank him for that. Terry went on to say, I cannot imagine Stuart would still be getting all this attention without Michael Barrymore. Stuart was 31 when he died. He'd be 50 now. People had said to me, Why don't you put this behind you? Your son has gone. But how can you forget your child? I dream about Stuart. To me his death seems like it was weeks ago, not 19 years ago. As long as I keep breathing... I won't stop fighting for him. And anyone who had anything to do with what happened to him had better realise that. Two days before Barrymore, the body in the pool, aired, Essex police and Crime Stoppers offered a reward of £20,000 for information leading to a conviction of the person responsible. It was the first reward offered during the investigation. At a press conference at Essex Police Headquarters in Shelmsford, Detective Chief Inspector Jennings, who had been interviewed for the documentary, explained that the three people arrested during 2007 had not been entirely ruled out of the investigation. The detective offered the opinion that the severe injuries could not have been self-inflicted and Stewart may have been held down in the water. While he believed not everyone at the party was responsible, he thought at least one of them was. One or more of those eight people at that party are responsible for Stuart's death. One or more of those eight people know who's responsible for Stuart's death. I'm equally convinced that those people present at the party must have spoken to friends, family, associates about what happened that night, and I urge them to come forward. Michael Barrymore, whose stage name appears in the title of the documentary, felt that he was being, quote, bashed and bullied by the media. In a pre-recorded video statement which he posted on Twitter, Barrymore said, I've always done everything anyone has asked of me. I've cooperated with everyone. Essex Police's own QC said that we know Mr. Barrymore has nothing to do with this and that there is no evidence linking him with the injuries to Mr Lubbock or the pool. Michael Barrymore continued to deny that he was involved in the murder or assault of Stuart Lubbock, and appeared on Good Morning Britain, along with his lawyer James Heath. It was alleged that the makers of Barrymore The Body in the Pool had approached him about a very different version of the documentary, which Barrymore suggested was more balanced. But when he declined, the positioning of the programme changed and Barrymore claimed the makers of the documentary put him firmly in their crosshairs. So where are we now? As of the time of this recording... No further arrests have been made in regards to the murder and rape or sexual assault of Stuart Lubbock. However, the reward for information leading to the conviction of the person responsible has doubled after the Sun newspaper offered a further £20,000. Stuart Lubbock was a father, brother and a son. He suffered horrific internal injuries during an assault the circumstances of which continue to remain a mystery. If you have any information about the death of Stuart Lubbock, you can contact Crimestoppers anonymously in the UK on 0800 Or for more details, visit crimestoppers-uk.org. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer Kate Maloney and everyone who supports us on Patreon. This is the end of Season 4 of They Walk Among Us. We will return on Wednesday July 1st for Season 5.